Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV. Best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Yeah, WCCO Radio. Rob Dreesline is with you for the next one hour. Mixing up the format here a little bit today. Going to have, uh, have have some fun. Uh, a longtime friend of mine, uh, he and I have done a lot of radio together over the years. Uh, most of the time, however, he's in either in Florida or up on Madeline Island in Lake Superior. So he doesn't get to the Twin Cities often, but he's in town. And I said, Tim Lesmeister, why don't you join me? It'll be like old times, and we will uh, irritate the listeners for the next hour with our bantering. It is like old times. It's so good to be back in the WCCO radio station. It's just the just it bring back so many memories. Yeah, yeah, it's a good setup. Uh, Jonathan Lowe producing, uh, entertaining us here before we got going a little bit. Tim and I agree about ninety five percent of the time, but we on radio we like to. Play up the five percent that we disagree on because I think we, it makes it makes for better radio, doesn't it? It does. So there's there's a lot of topics to talk about. I don't have any other guests planned this week because I you know I thought there's a lot of good topics for you and I to chat about. I definitely want to get listeners involved. Uh, if Tim or I, if you disagree with something Tim and I are talking about, by all means, give us a call six five one four six one ninety two twenty six. Call or text that line. Uh, Jonathan Lowe will pipe you in or uh, or tell us what you text to us. Like I say, Tim, a lot of topics, starting with the fact that next Saturday, the 13th, is the fishing opener, the Inland Waters Walleye Opener Pike. Uh, there's even uh, You can even go out and, and catch and release bass now, can't you? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great rule. I really appreciate that. I just posted a photo up on Facebook, and it shows three species, northern pike, bass, and crappies, and that's what I target on opener. And it's going to be a great opener this year because the weather is, I think, going to be really nice. May have some rain. But as long as there's no thunder and lightning, I'd be out there on the water fishing anyway. Yeah, it should be a good time. Maybe a little later in the show, we'll see if we how we're going on topics. We might uh, talk some specific tactics for next week's weekend's opener. The weather, we, we should just briefly talk. I mean, it's looking like at least normal temperatures, maybe above normal, which bodes well for opener, doesn't it? Yeah, because I have been snowed on. I have been <laughs> sleeted on. I, I have had my the, go out and, and literally blow the snow off my truck to get my boat in the water on openers in the past where I've had 14 layers on and still cold. I think this is going to be one of those openers where the temperatures might, you know, get up into the 70s and we'll have some, eh, maybe some sunshine on Sunday, which will be really nice. And so I think it's going to be great fishing. And I, I don't see a cold front all week and that, that bodes well. I mean, consistent weather is like what you like going into opener, right? The, the fish should be... We think the walleyes be postponed in, in uh, a good chunk of the state? Oh, absolutely. And it'll bring those northern pike in shallow, too. So what we're going to see here on opening day is a good bite, not a great bite. You get those great bites when you do have a cold front moving in and you get in right before that cold front hits. But we're going to have a really good bite on opener. Tim, a big topic at the uh, Minfish Summit. Minfish is a, an advoc- advocacy group for fishing in Minnesota. They've done a good job uh like I say, advocating for fishery hatch, fish hatchery improvements and boat landing improvements over the past uh, couple of years. And now it looks like Governor Walz's budget is actually going to follow through this year. And, and if, if there was ever a year to do it, this would be it, right, when we're sitting on this budget. Let's spend some money to repair uh, some of these facilities. But Minfish had its summit on Wednesday, I believe it was. I was there for most of the day. Uh, Governor Walz did drop in. 
uh, he you know he didn't say a lot of of meaning other than the fact that he supports the two things that that I just uh, spoke about. Uh, one item that was on the agenda and has gotten a lot of publicity. OutdoorLife.com wrote about it. I saw the Star Tribune had a story a month or so ago. Outdoor News has reported on it too. Is the minnow shortage? Uh, there, it's it's tough out there for producing fathead minnows, spot tail shiners. Uh, I think we're going to have. We're going to have bait for opener, but this this is a ongoing trend that's getting more and more difficult. That you've been tracking that. Oh yes, and you know you can actually buy uh, Chilean sea bass, halibut, a lot cheaper than you can buy a dozen <laughs> shiners for. And it is true. I mean, I, I think that rather than use them for bait, I'm going to eat them. So you know you're getting into a situation right now where actually people have already started putting their orders in for their minnows. Minnows are a great bait on opening day. We all know that shiner minnows catch walleyes, and they really work exceedingly well on opener. So if you haven't put in your order for minnows, you may not get any. And if you do get some, you're going to be paying a premium for them. So expect some sticker shock at the bait shop. A lot of factors going into this. It gets really complicated. There's there's less water out there where you can produce minnows. The DNR is limiting the, the ponds where they can take and distribute minnows from because of AIS, because of aquatic invasive species issues. Uh, you've got some of these traditional waters where they produced minnows, where you've got people building lake homes now, and then stocking the ponds or these small lakes with fish that they want to catch, which then eat all the minnows, right? And so you got less water available. Uh, you've got the minnow folks that want to import more golden shiners. The DNR has qualms about that. I guess we're one of two states, Minnesota and Maine, that requires all the bait basically to be produced in the state. And that's because of AIS issues. We've got a lot of important pure water here that we want to protect from aquatic invasive species. But what that means is when you start losing some of your uh, quote-unquote native water for production, there's not as much bait and supply and demand. Cost really goes up. And I understand why you don't want to bring minnows in from out of state because you have also some viral infection that right. can cause whirling disease and such, such as that. Like that is going to cause some problems here with uh, with fish, with game fish and, uh, and panfish. So I can understand it, but boy, I'm telling you right now, and there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to be crying in their live wells because they're not able to stock them with some spot tail shiners. Uh, there are some people that I know have talked about going out and actually catching their own bait, going out and literally fishing for some stone roller chubs in some of the streams. And that, and I know Dave Gens is a real proponent of that, where you literally take tiny hooks, uh, maggots, and you go out and you fish these these streams and catch your own bait. So uh, there's always that option. You're an old river rat. Like, remember, oh, yeah. remember willow cats? Oh, that, yes. That was a big, that's a big thing down the Winona, Trumple of the Cross area where I'm from, uh, using willow cats. You know, I think we probably ought to get a break in, Tim. I want to remind listeners, give us a call. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, call Tim or I, pick our brains, 651-461-9226. We're going to break. Lots more to talk about. Uh, I want to talk to Tim about the uh, the shotgun zone. Uh, I want to talk to him about forward-facing sonar, lots of other topics. So don't go away. More WCCO out of doors after these messages. Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dreesline and Tim Lesmeister this week here until the top of the hour. Then stay tuned for 60 Minutes. At 6 o'clock, and then an hour later, Gerilyn Steele at 7 p.m. with Steele talking. She is back, so 
Should be some good local radio coming at you this evening at 7 p.m. Like I mentioned, I got Tim Lesmeister with me. Uh, excited to have him here. We talk a lot of different topics. We uh, like to taunt each other now and then. Uh, give us a call if you want to jump in on the discussion, 651-461-9226, or you can give us a text at that line also. Let's stick with the fishing discussion. Maybe in the, the third segment I want to get more hunting-oriented. Uh, but uh, there was another topic at this Minfish Summit that I thought you would find interesting, Tim. Uh, the Linder guys, uh, Jeremy Smith from Linder Media was there, uh, did a presentation with a DNR guy uh, where, and maybe you saw they did a story on this in Outdoor News, a brief story. It was on the topic of barrel trauma with crappies. Uh, what they did was they caught a bunch of crappies and they put them in a net. Uh, this was during ice fishing, and then they, they and the net went all the way to the bottom. So they, these fish had you know area to move around with, and they tried to figure out what the change in depth meant for these fish. Did, did some of them die as a result of what they call barrel trauma? You know, you know about this, where their swim bladder overexpands. Uh, you release this fish and think, oh, I'm a great guy. I release this fish, and then it dies anyway. And, if, and a sizable percentage of these fish were dying, even in the winter, Tim. Uh, you have any experience with that? Oh, yeah. When I was doing work with Aqua Innovations, uh, they used to take walleyes at these tournaments, and they'd fizz them. They'd bring them out of deep water. Of course, the bladder was extended through their mouth, and they'd take a needle and stick it into their bladder and, and try and release that so they could let it go and have it swim back to the bottom. Now, Brad, I want to be clear. Brad Parsons, DNR Fisheries chief, was very clear. Fizzing is not legal. Well, fizzing is not legal, and, it's, and it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. And let me tell you why it doesn't work. It's, we, took, we took a bunch of these fish that were fizzed at a tournament one time. We wanted to see how long we could keep them alive uh, in some tanks. Uh, back at the labs that Aqua Innovations was using, and they all died. And we had some control fish in there, too, mm-hmm. some fish that, that were caught, that were not fizzed, that were actually brought out of that uh, that situation they were in where their bladder was expanded, and those lived fine. It was the fish that were fizzed that all died. And another problem with the crappies, the crappies are are, are very sensitive fish. And so, you know, if you if you take a bullhead or a carp and throw it out on the ice or an eel pouch, you can go out in a half an hour and let it go, and it'll probably swim away and live. But a crappie, you get about 30 seconds with that, and if you look at it cross-eyed, it's dead. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful with crappies, and if you're catching these fish out of deep water, uh, you're, you're best off just to keep them, keep a limit of those fish. doesn't matter what size they are. If you, if you have a limit of 15 crappies, keep your 15 fish and start fishing for something else. Do not catch and release. Because if you're taking them out of 25, 30 feet of water, they're going to die. There's a lot of variables. There's a lot of factors here, right? Water temperature, just how deep did you catch the fish? How long was it out of the water? Uh, the size of the fish, uh, like I say, a lot of ver- the species of the fish. Uh, there have been a few other studies in some other states, I believe also walleyes on the Missouri River. Um, they, they cited some of these others. Walleyes are semi-susceptible to it also, uh, but, you know, there needs to be more research on this, and I think it's important because uh, if if we're preaching catch and release, and a lot of these fish are dying because we're pulling up from too deep, we need to reevaluate limits, perhaps, or at least we need to educate anglers on you know this is what's happening when you're pulling a fish up from thirty, forty feet of water. Right. This was what was happening to all these walleyes that were dying out on malacs that were floating around in the middle of summer, and they were saying, "Look at all this delayed mortality. We have to incorporate this." into our program when we decide how many fish we're going to let these anglers take. 
Now, Tim, like I say, uh, Governor Walls was at the Minfish Summit. Uh, he announced a couple weeks ago, actually on this show, uh, that he will not be attending the uh, Governor's Fishing Opener down in Mankato. I, it's because his daughter is graduating from Montana State. I think you and I, if we've talked about this, I, it's hard to hold that against him, right? I mean, those are those are <laughs> life life milestones. It's hard uh, to you know ask him to miss that. That said, you do feel like you know, some of the governor's events have they're not not as good as they were maybe back in the Dayton and Palenti and some of the early era uh, earlier era governors. I skipped my brother's wedding because he had it on the Muskies Inc. tournament weekend. Okay, well, you, you know, so I'm telling straight. you, Walls, what, you got like eight brothers. Too, shoot right? a video, <laughs> Walls. Jeez, you don't go to the open. I mean, let's see. Should I go to a graduation? or Should I go fishing? It's not hard for me to decide. I'm going fishing. So yeah, Walls, I'm giving you no quarter on this. You should be at the fishing opener. But you know, I'm sure your daughter would forgive you. She's your daughter. Don't worry about it. Anyway. Getting uh, uh, back to the governor's fishing opener, it has really. I, I, I used to, I've been going to the governor's opener since Perpich was the governor, and we used to have a lot of fun at these events because they were a big event. It's turned out now to be just kind of a small little thing that happens, and and it's kind of sad because we used to have big banquets and and contests and golf outings and and uh, you know it was you, you'd win plaques and all kinds of stuff like none of that happens anymore. You basically have a little shore lunch and the governor goes fishing for an hour and tells everybody what a you know great thing he's doing for the outdoors and then he leaves and that's about it. So I think at some point they're all just going to say forget it let's quit doing this and end it. It's been declining for years. Uh, I mean that predates walls, right? Pelenny used to have great ones. Mm-hmm. Pelenny was amazing. And then uh, Dayton came along and Dayton used to have some pretty good shows. I think a lot of it had to do with John Edmund, who was responsible for a lot of the planning. and He was at uh, Tourism? Yeah, he was, he was director of Tourism, and Edmund did a phenomenal job. But even before Edmund, there were some guys that did great work. Even when Jesse was governor, we didn't necessarily like being around Jesse that much, but <laughs> the bottom line was is he had good programs. We had great fun. I, I remember going to the one up on Rainy River where Jesse was, I think it was his first one, and we were coming off uh, Carlson, who – However you feel about Arnie Carlson, I, and I like a lot of things he's done environmentally, he did not like fishing opener. That was very clear. And so Jesse kind of turned it on, like, I'm, I'm going to play this up. And he went out on Rainy, came back with a, with a limit of fish. That was a, that was a good time up there uh, on Rainy. That was, gosh, what, about 99? Yeah. Guessing? You might not have liked Carlson, but he was there for the duration. I mean, he was hardcore about being there and making sure that he, he was interacting with everybody for the, uh, the events. And he would—he was actually good at. Uh, I'd say he was very good at using the event to, you know, shore up his voters. But he never caught a fish, right? He, he, wasn't he, that he, wasn't that the, the long-standing joke? He did catch a fish. He caught a fish with Terry T3, Tuma. You're right. That's right. At Red Wing, I the do remember. Only that, yeah. fish that Carlson caught the entire time he was governor <laughs> was with Terry Tuma. You're right. I felt sorry for that guy Malax he fished with. The guy that was on, uh, that he fished with on Malax, I won't mention his name, was a, an incredible guide on the lake. And then he took Carlson out. They never caught a fish, and he was just annihilated in the media, and he actually quit guiding and went and started a <laughs> Dairy Queen up in Bemidji. He was so embarrassed. Okay. Poor guy. One other Walt's note uh, before we, we take another break and we, and we talk about some other things. But when I had Walls on this program, I asked him point blank about, you know, every other governor has had some sort of outdoor initiative, some sort of outdoor feather in their cap before they leave. Uh, Plenty had that state park. 
Dayton had the uh, buffers. Uh, Arne Carlson had his Minnesota River uh, effort. Uh, even Jesse uh, figured out that if if you if you bring forth fifty million dollars in state money, uh, you can secure a quarter billion dollars in federal money for Minnesota River CREP, which was was a, a great great project. Great project. And I and I've asked the governor Walls, you know, what's yours going to be? And you know, he talked about a lot of well, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to reinvest in the outdoors. You know, give us give us some. Like I said, give us a feather in the cap. Give us a toy. And you know what? I got an idea, Tim. Have you heard about this 3M property? It's up in Hubbard County on Man Trap Lake. It's my understanding there's 680 acres, six miles of undeveloped shoreline that uh, 3M has decided to sell. I think the state of Minnesota should buy that. I had an email from from a listener also who brought that up. I think that should be a new state park. I'm telling you right now it would be an excellent investment and Yes, Walls, this is going to be your signature right here. This is going to be what you need to do right now because you've got basically this phenomenal property right on Big Man Trap Lake, an excellent fishing lake. It's got already has everything done. There's 20 miles of trails for ATVs. It's got a trout lake on it. it just for, They stock it. It's a, a cold water lake right there near Park Rapids. And I'm telling you right now, you take this 650 acres and you build – it into something that people can use for a lot of different things because the resources are there to make this happen. And you can call it the, uh, I don't know, call it the Walls State Park Center. I don't care. Go ahead and put your own name put on your it. Name I don't on care. It. Secure it. There's not a lot of big chunks of land like this on Lakeshore available these days. And so and it's cheap. Yeah. You can pick it up for about probably 17 mil. And we're sitting on a big old budget surplus. I can't yeah. think of anything better to do. So I tell you what, I'll cough up 100 bucks. Throw it into the kitty. You put another sixteen mil nine ninety, and pff, we'll we'll have it. Tim and Rob, very very good at spending the taxpayers' dollars. That's our idea. Tim, I think we better get in a break. I want to talk some hunting topics when we come back, huh? Sounds good. One more time, listeners, give us a call six five one four six one ninety two twenty six. I'm Rob Dreesline. He's Tim Lesmeister sitting in with me today. We're going to take a break. This is WCCO Outdoors. We are back, WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline from Outdoor News. Usually have a little different mix of guests, but my friend Tim Lesmeister is in town this weekend, and I thought, uh, why didn't Tim come and join me in studio? So we're having a good time. We are keeping ourselves busy. Lots to talk about. If you want to join the discussion, give us a call at 651-461-9226. You can call or text that line if you've got a question for us. Tim, like I mentioned, I think there's a couple firearms or gun topics or hunting topics that perhaps you and I could kick around here, mix up the fishing talk a little bit. Uh, the shotgun zone, I've talked about this on air here a little bit. We had uh, Steve Draskowski on, I think was it last week or the week before. He's the author of some legislation in the state Senate that would eliminate the shotgun zone in the southern portion of the state. Uh, this has been talked about for a number of years. It really came close to passage last year. I'm not sure if it's going to happen this year or not. It might, uh, but I know you've got some opinions on it. Uh, what do you think? I've always had a strong opinion on this, and I think having a shotgun season down in southern Minnesota is ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous because I can go down there right now and shoot a rifle cartridge out of a pistol. I have that pistol. I have a, a lone eagle, which shoots a 7mm odd 8, and I've used it a lot down in southern Minnesota. So, you know, you could hunt coyotes down in southern Minnesota with a thirty odd six. Right now, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not it's it's not like we can't use rifles in southern Minnesota. So why all of a sudden, because of deer, 
do we not get to use a rifle? Well, maybe because when they decided to pass the slug law years and years and years ago, uh, they thought it would, you know, be better for the very small population of deer down there. Uh, and now that the deer have increased to the levels that they're at, using rifles is not going to be a factor one way or the other as far as how many you're going to have from year to year. You think we'll kill more deer in in what's now the shotgun zone if we allow rifles? No, I think you'll find more deer, and that's the beautiful part about this is that there are so many deer killed right now with slugs that they never find. These are deer that are are getting slugs slung at them during drives that they never find because these deer get hit and they're not hit a, a you know a lung shot or a, a heart shot. And so they'll just run and run on adrenaline until eventually they lay down and bleed out. And, and you're saying that's not going to happen now because they're going to they're going to get knocked down with the superior firepower from rifles. I think you're going to see deer drives become a thing of the past. Well, they more pretty much already are, but yeah. Uh, I don't know. They're down in southern Minnesota. Deer drives are still pretty There's heavy. Still a few, but yeah, a lot, especially in the farm country when you get into that you know southwestern region. But I think if if hunters can you know take a deer a little farther out, they're going to spend more time in their stands. See, now, this is a point that you and I have always disagreed on. You, you always kind of make this point, well, okay, so guys are, are shooting deer, at, let's say, with slug guns. At, they're, they're pushing their limit, you might say, right? They're shooting 150, 200 yards, which is really kind of getting to the limit of a, of a slug gun. You're saying now those guys are going to be more efficient. They're going to kill those deer with a, with a rifle and reach out and touch and really knock those deer down. My problem with that argument is, okay, those guys with the rifles now, now they're going to be shooting 350, 400 yards, maybe not 400, but you, you understand my point. They're going to be pushing the limit just further out. They're still going to be potentially wounding some deer. They're just going to be farther away than they are now. So I, that's why I've never bought that. That's the same thing. You and I argued for years about scopes on muzzleloaders. You said, oh, we're going to be so more efficient. We're going to kill more deer because guys are going to have scopes. Well, okay, yeah, at the ranges they're shooting now, but when you add the scope, they're going to be shooting further. Before you even say anything, I know the scopes on muzzleloader thing passed, and it ultimately became a non-event. Nonetheless, I, I still have some of these feelings. Yeah, and I, I just don't think there's a lot of landscape in Minnesota that allows for those extremely long shots. You know, everything's broken up by timber, and even uh, down in the farm country, uh, you're going to have a hard time getting those really long, super long shots like you might if you're out west and you're out in, in a, you know the prairie lands. So I don't think that that's going to be a huge factor. Maybe a few guys might try some long shots. Heck, there might be some guys that buy three thirty-eight Lapuas and try to shoot them out at four miles. Who knows? But I'm I'm thinking that not much of that is going to happen. Uh, they'll be more effective at killing the animals, and they'll find a lot more deer that they shoot. When we drive to my wife's parents down in Dodge, the heart of Dodge County, I am shocked at how few trees there are, how barren that landscape is. And and maybe that's unique. There's other parts of southern Minnesota that are more broken up. I think there is opportunity for some really long shots, at least in Dodge County, which makes my segue to the second half of this argument, which is uh, what is passed in the Senate, there's actually a couple caveats. A couple senators said, oh, wait, we don't want this in my county. One of them was Olmstead, and one of them was Dodge County. I pretty sure you and I agree on this point. If we're going to do it, it needs to be all of, it needs to be statewide or not. Or we need to keep the existing rule. Yeah, it should be all or nothing. As far as I'm concerned, if you're going to pass a law like that, uh, you have to think about the people that are actually enforcing those laws. And if you don't make it all or nothing, uh, those poor 
enforcement people out in the field are, are really going to feel a pinch. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine having a patchwork of counties? Because I guarantee you there'll be more, right? There'll be other counties in the state where they're going to say, well, we don't want rifles. We want to keep the shotgun rule. And so you're going to have this patchwork that's going to be utterly ridiculous. I hunt right on the Winona-Houston County line. So hypothetically, I could be looking at a guy across the fence carrying a rifle and I'm stuck with a shotgun or vice versa. That's completely ridiculous. And then, you know, hey, why stop at county lines? You, you might have some township in a county that doesn't want rifles and say, you know, what? we would like rifles. Yeah, you know, why not take it to the township level? Yeah, I don't think a lot of, yeah, I don't think it would make sense. Look where I'm at up in Lake Superior. In Schwamigan Bay, I can't keep a smallmouth bass under 21 inches. But if I catch a 19-inch and throw it in my live well and drive over to Bayfield, well, who's going to know where I caught that fish? All of a sudden, it's like, what if I get checked? So what? I caught the fish right here off the dock. You know, I mean, there's so many things that you can do illegally and so much poaching that can go on when you do a patchwork like that. It just doesn't make sense. It's just a bad idea, and I'm sure yeah, it would give the uh, the conservation officers heartburn. Uh, one other quick hunting topic before we break, Tim. Uh, you're not a big turkey hunter, but you and I, and, and I am, but and we both know a lot of guys that are into it. I, I wrote part of my column this past week about the state of Kansas eliminated its fall turkey hunt uh, starting this year because their their turkey population has gone down like 60% in the past 15, 16 years. That's a big number. Uh, we've talked about this turkey numbers maybe declining, especially in the southeastern part of the country. I don't think we're seeing it here yet. The DNR has pretty much convinced me we're not seeing it here. But it got me thinking about this fall hunt. We do have a fall hunt here. We kill about 1,200, 1,300 birds. 55% of them are hens. I keep, I'm, I've been asking myself more and more, why do we need to kill hens during that fall hunt? Those are, those are the birds that are out there laying the eggs. This fall hunt is kind of a small deal. Should we be restricting it just to gobblers in the fall too? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one. No, I wouldn't restrict it to just gobblers in the fall until I start seeing some numbers uh, declining, and, and then I would. I mean, right now we're, we've got numbers you know, expanding in Minnesota just because we've got phenomenal habitat. And that's one of the problems that you have in a, in a state like Kansas. You know, they got decent habitat down there as long as the weather holds for them. But as soon as they get some real cold springs and, and they get into a situation where they have some snowfall that they're not used to, that hangs on for a little longer than normal, well, all of a sudden those turkeys don't do quite so well. So, yeah, for them, I, I can see why they would cancel their fall hunt. I wouldn't. I'd, I'd actually have a fall hunt, and I would say let's make it conducive to just – the tom turkeys only. But here in Minnesota, I don't see any problem with a fall hunt that has you shooting either sex. Why not? My, I asked my dad about this, and my dad is hes sort of like our mutual friend Mark Strand when it comes to turkeys. I mean, he's got it bad. He's killed many dozens of turkeys. And he said, you know, turkeys are flocking up in the fall. The hens are with their young of the year. The gobblers are with other gobblers and jakes. He said if you limit the fall harvest to birds with a beard, i.e. gobblers, uh, you'd be eliminating young of the year males too because they might not have a recognizable bird yet uh, and or beard yet. And he just said if you did that, it would be a really small harvest. Yeah, I mean, if you eliminated hens, you'd be talking about a 400, 500 bird harvest in the fall. I'm not sure that's the end of the world, but I, I, I guess biologically, if the DNR doesn't think it makes a difference yet, I won't argue. But if we start seeing the kind of declines or any sort of decline like they're seeing further south, that's the first place I would start is, is limiting that fall hunt. Yeah, I guess I might too. But I, right now I say at this point here, 
I would make any changes. All right. We're going to get in another break. I'm Rob Drewson. He's Tim Lesmeister. We've got uh, some other fishing topics to talk about. We might touch on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Tim is a, is a, is a musician, uh, thus his handle on Twitter. What is it? Less Monster Music, at Less Monster Music, if you want to follow him on all the social medias. So we might touch on that. Tim's bitter about some of the people who got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> we're going to argue about that a bit. Uh, so stick around. We got, we're going to have a good time. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I'm Rob Dreesline. More of the broadcast after these messages. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment of this week's broadcast of WCCO Outdoors on this May 7th, 2023. I am Rob Dreesline, and Tim Lesmeister is here to help me bring it home. Uh, Tim, just back up from Florida, where he spends part of the winter. And, Tim, I saw a little headline that uh, Florida is on the cusp of becoming the 23rd state to pass a right to hunt and fish amendment. Minnesota was one of the first. I think uh, only Alabama and maybe Arkansas had beaten us to that. We passed that in 1998. Remember that? Oh, I do remember it well. And there were a lot of people. I couldn't believe it. there were people that were up in arms about that. I, it just blew me away. What are you talking about? This state is uh, gets a massive amount of money from tourism that revolves around hunting and fishing, especially fishing. And not to say that it's you know something that deserves to be part of the part of the program here. It was a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was the same no year. Sense. It was the same year that the uh, lottery uh, dedication occurred for the uh, environmental trust fund, which that was twenty five years. Which at the time when I, I saw that that was passing for twenty five years, I thought that was going to be eternity. Uh, now we're, we're in a situation where we got to get that renewed uh, by by next year. Uh, so for, expect that on next year's ballot. And by the way, I remember when it passed him. The uh, Environmental Trust Fund people referred to the right to hunt and fish thing as kind of the controversial amendment. They said ours is the non-controversial <laughs> one. Then the right to hunt and fish actually passed by a bigger margin than the ETF did. As I recall, didn't that lottery amendment have initially 80 percent? Yeah, I tell you, we could we could get into that. That's changed a lot over the years. Oh, uh, man, I tell you, that, they, these politicians always try right. to get their grubby little fingers exactly. on all the money that is used. Exactly, yeah, we're trying to make sure w- whatever passes next year has got, uh, got a nice chunk of money with it. But I will say this about the right to hunt and fish amendment. I don't know how it's impacted my life. It, it, in the 25 years since it's passed, I don't recall it ever really going in front of the court or, or any issue relying on that amendment to preserve some sort of hunting or, or fishing season. So in turn, I'm glad it's on the books, and I was a big advocate at the time, and I'm, and I'm still glad it's on the books, but I, I guess I can't necessarily say it, it's changed my life in any way. A hunter harassment. I think that there's probably been some hunter harassment yeah. laws that have revolved around right to hunt and fish. Yeah, it's maybe helped with those statutes. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, anyway, so I, I saw that. Uh, something we could argue about here briefly, at this uh, Minfish Summit I was at, when they were talking about the barrow trauma thing, one of the ways they found these crappies, Jeremy Smith went out of his way at the end to point out how effective forward-facing sonar was in finding these fish. And, Tim, I am hearing, I've told this to you before, you don't want to hear it, you argue with me about it, I'm hearing a lot of guides. I'm hearing a lot of people in the fishing industry kind of murmuring in the background, what's going to happen when everyone learns how to use this forward-facing sonar? And, you know, you turn it, and wow, hey, there's a school of crappies just 50 yards over there. Bam, we're on them. Or or muskies, right? Uh, June now is prime time to fish muskies thanks to forward-facing sonar. There's a lot of people asking what this is going to do to our fisheries when the price point on these things come down and every angler can afford to buy one of these units, 
what's it going to do to our fisheries? The big pike, too, you know, in those big northern mm-hmm. pike. Yeah, well, move, up, move up, out off into, the island where you are, yeah. Move out into the deep water to suspend. You can find them easily. I've been using it for a long, 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 long time. Uh, when I got my Super Silent 60, which was a Lawrence unit, which was a flasher way back when, I used to use it to find crappies under the ice. And what I would do is I'd put the transducer on a dowel rod, and when I'd stick it down the hole, I would turn it to almost a 90-degree angle. It, it, it was pointed downwards just maybe 5 degrees, and I would just spin it around in the hole until I spotted a school of crappies. And then I would say, okay, that's they're 30 feet away in that direction because I'd have it marked on the dowel rod. And then I would I would literally pace it off and drill holes. And then I would have my, my transducer now pointed downward, and there they were. And then I would fish them. So this is not really new technology. It's just that now they've they fine-tuned it to the point where you can actually look 360 degrees around your boat. And we've had sight imaging now for a long time. I use sight imaging up on Lake Superior to find lake trout, and it's really very effective. There's no question with suspended fish, it's great. With bass and walleyes that aren't suspended, forget it. You're not gonna, you're not gonna find those fish with a, with a forward-facing sonar. But for suspended fish, it's incredible. Yeah, see, Tim, I think the what you described. There's maybe one angler in 500 that did what you did with your regular sonar transducer. Now everybody's going to have access to these with, with much better screens. I'm not necessarily suggesting what we do different, I, but I, I think it could have an effect on limits uh, when everybody's using this. You know, and, and I'm glad people are having more success. And, and I don't know if you remember my column a few weeks ago where I talked to a commercial fisherman down in the Perdachine area who said it's become really, really helpful in tracking down schools of carp when they're out trying to catch roughfish. They're an invasive species, and anything we can do to find them and wipe them out, that's great. This technology is great for that. Do, do you think it could have an effect on limits long term? Yeah, I do actually, but I don't think it should be banned or even looking at anything that might restrict its use. We we see this so often. Cameras come along. Oh, we need to ban the cameras. Sonars come along. Oh, we need to ban the sonars. I remember when sonars got real popular uh, for a long time. Your guides were all screaming, "We can't let the average angler have these. We want them, but we don't. We can't let the average guy own these." Well, you know, of course, Carl Lawrence didn't think that was such a good idea, and. And I, I, they were in Minnesota probably half a dozen times they were trying to ban something that was new technology. But you just don't do that because what happens is uh, is that it, it may, means that people might catch more fish, but they enjoy the sport and they go out more and, and more licenses are sold, more people get involved. And that's what we want. We want people to take advantage of these outdoor resources. And so if someone buys a boat that's got a – forward-facing sonar and they learn how to use it well, I'm, I say more power to them. I've really gotten addicted to my underwater camera, and it helps me find and catch fish. But I don't, I, you know, I'm a catch-and-release guy. I don't keep many. I have few to eat, and I'm not damaging the resources, and I don't think a lot of people are. All right, I'm going to let that be the last word on that topic. we got just a couple minutes left. Uh, you are a, a musician, and you're not real happy about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, there's a whole bunch of folks that, that got uh, inducted, uh, here in 2023, you and I agree, Rage Against the Machine, you're glad uh, that they're in. Who's the other one that, that you like? The Spinners. Yeah, okay, okay. I think the Spinners were rock and roll. Hey, they did Rubber Band Man. Are you okay. kidding me? The Spinners were phenomenal. Yeah. I love those guys, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> you're not happy about Willie. Well, Willie Nelson. Willie you, Nelson. You love Willie, but. I love Willie. Willie's in there. Peter Frampton's not. 
I mean, come on. They put Willie in there and not Jethro Tull. Joe Cocker? Willie Nelson, not Joe Cocker? Come on. This is... This has got to be something crazy. But I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a quote by Joe Walsh, and it really made sense to me. There's a lot of people I don't know why they are in there, and there's a lot of people I don't know why they're not. And I think that makes total sense. It's kind of like our Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. Rob and I are, are very active in the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. And there are a lot of people that are in there, and we believe that they should be, but there are a lot of people in there that – or there, there's a lot of people that are not in there, and we don't know why they're not, because they belong there. They just need to be nominated, and that's the problem. We need to nominate these people that should be there. Yeah. Well, as you and I have talked off here, Jan Wenner is kind of kind of whoever he likes, whatever genre they're from, those are the folks that uh, that get in. Well, Tim, I, it's it's been great spending time with you. Thanks for coming into studio with me this week. Oh, it's always great to be here. Yeah. Well, again, this has been WCCO Outdoors. Uh, stick around. We've got uh, 60 minutes coming up here at the top of the hour. Uh, and then uh, Gerilyn Steele will be in at 7 p.m. So uh, some uh, great content coming at you the rest of the evening here. Again, Tim Lesmeister, you can follow him on social media. Look for Les Monster. You'll see what he's got cooking as a musician and otherwise. Uh, we will be back on this station next week. Lots to talk about. The session is winding down, so maybe we'll have some resolution on some of these topics we've been talking about here today. Everybody have a great week out of doors. Rob Dreesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.